Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, how do you feel when someone is a real jerk to you? Can you say jerk in church? Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Where someone, you didn't deserve it, right? And, and they have said something about you, maybe in front of you, or, or said something about you to others, or they have undercut you maybe in some way at work by going and telling somebody something or telling the boss, and, and you have just been so wrongly treated. How do you feel at that moment? What do you want to do? What, what's coming out of your heart at that time? You know, or maybe it's, it's, it's you watch the, um, uh, you know, the news or, or read about what's going on and somebody, either a, a, a government official, politician, uh, or a celebrity, somebody who gets that kind of coverage, says something and makes a point that is just so blatantly wrong, so ungodly, so in opposition to what's good and right. How do you feel about that? What, what do you want to do about it? What's coming out of you at that point in time? Um, and so it's this idea, you know, we're being done wrong, whether it's directly or whether it's out here in, in a more public way. And I think we all, have, we know the this old statement, right? You know how people sometimes respond. They say, well, I don't get mad. I get what? You guys were way too quick to answer that. That's, see, we, we understand this. We have these kinds of feelings in us. They are natural to us as human beings. The question is, though, is how should we be responding? As followers of Christ, what should be coming out of our hearts? And in this series, we're talking about getting to know Jesus. And as we're going to see something about Jesus today that I think will challenge where we're at in our hearts sometimes and how we feel about these kinds of things. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to take one out of the chairs there and follow along. We're going to be on page 1,000. 194 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. Now, before I begin, let me talk about um, what was going on in the time of Christ. By the time Jesus has come on the scene, there are two main groups of people in what we would consider Israel, in the Holy Land there. And lots of subgroups and things, but two main groups, and those were the Jewish people, and the other was the Samaritans, okay? Now the origin of the Samaritans, and by the way, the Samaritans, uh, their worship was similar to Judaism and they actually thought it was Judaism and they thought it was actually a, a, a purer form of Judaism than what the Jews had. But what happened about, about 700, AD, or 700 years before Christ, 600 years before Christ, the northern 10 tribes of Israel, there's, there's, there were 12 tribes and the northern 10 tribes uh, have gotten involved in idolatry and have re not repented. They've not turned back to the Lord. And as a result, God stops protecting them. And the Assyrians come and 
take over all of the northern part of Israel and oppress them. Uh, and they were a brutal people. Uh, but one of their strategies was this. When they came into that land, they took uh, the majority of the people who lived there and moved them out to other parts of the world. Because the, uh, the concern is if, if you take over a, an area and you let those people stay there, that's their land, isn't it? And, you know, we're going to, when they maybe moved to rebel. And so what they did, instead of doing that, they just moved them out, took them to other parts of the world. And then they took people from other parts of the world and moved them in. Okay, and so the end result was over the years, there's a lot of intermarriage between people who had been Jews and people coming from other parts of the world who were not. The religion got corrupted. Uh, and it is not true Judaism, but they believe that it is. In fact, they believed it was superior. Um, and so as a result of the time of Jesus here, um, the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other, and that's putting it mildly. How they felt about each other. Um, they did live with each other, they did coexist with each other. Um, but it was, it was like this, it's so much so. Let me tell you the geography at the time of Jesus. If you can imagine, here's this map of Israel, okay? Down here in the bottom, this is where Jerusalem is, okay? The, and that's a real Jewish stronghold. Way up north, Sea of Galilee in that area, that's also Jewish, strong Jewish. But in the middle is, was uh, called Samaria. This is where the Samaritans lived. And it, it was so bad that if a Jewish person wanted to travel from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they would head north, but when they got close to Samaria, they would turn east, cross the Jordan River, and go up all the way around when they got above Samaria, then they would come back into Galilee. So they wouldn't even travel through the country or the other way, if you're headed the other way, which is what we're going to see in our story. And, and so uh, the, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They, they, they lived close to each other, but they really didn't have much use for each other. So let's pick up the story here in verse 51. <clears throat> Jesus is in Galilee, up north. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, when it talks about him being received up, he means to go up to Jerusalem and to fulfill all the things that he'd come for, to die for sins, to rise again, to confront the, uh, the religious leaders, to present himself as a Messiah, all these things. The time had come. And so he set his face to go. And this idea of set his face, is just a, a figure of speech to say, he determined, he set his eyes on, this is where I am now going. So much so that Jesus headed down toward Jerusalem. Instead of doing what most people would have done, which would have been to go around Samaria, he heads straight through Samaria. He's taking the shortest, most direct route to get to Jerusalem. Going through Samaria, Samaritan territory. Verse 52. It says, and he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Now, this would make sense because when Jesus showed up, it wasn't ever just Jesus, right? It was Jesus and these 12 guys that were traveling with him and, and whoever else might have been hanging around for them. So they had to, they would get in, you know, send people ahead of time to find a place for them to stay, find a, a, a where they could get food and figure all those kinds of things out. So they were the advanced party and they went there. Verse 52, but they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So 
The Samaritans hearing, wait a minute, Jewish man, all these Jewish followers, and they're headed to Jerusalem? I don't think so. You are not welcome here. You are not welcome. Don't come into town. Uh, very much uh, a pushing back. I mean, I, they didn't even know who Jesus was. It didn't matter to them. He was Jewish. All right, so what happens here? Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Okay, James and John. Elsewhere in the Bible, we find that they have nicknames. They are, they're brothers, James and John, and they are called the Sons of Thunder. That's because they were nice and mild-mannered and always spoke quietly? No. In fact, you can imagine two brothers, right? Two brothers who, who always seem to be able to get in trouble. Either they get to each other in trouble or they get in trouble together. One builds on the other. Sons of Thunder. That's what they were here. And, and we see them here that... Wait a minute, these Samaritans, who are they to tell us that we can't come through? This is, don't you understand who this is? Jesus, you want us to nuke them? Really, that's what they were saying, right? Like Elijah, like a prophet, call fire down on them and, and wipe them out. Sons of thunder. We should probably give them credit because it does seem that they believe that if Jesus had said yes, that they would have been able to do it. That's a good thing. Uh, but... As we're going to see, they were missing the point. Verse 55, but he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village, did it a different way. But James and John wanted to wipe them out, to destroy them. And Jesus says, you don't get it. That's not what we're about. That's not what we came for. He says, I came to save men's lives, not to destroy them. And I think Jesus' rebuke of, of James and John tells us something. And that's that Jesus expects his followers to know and to share his heart for people. He expected them to know, how, how could you not get this, James and John? You remember why I've come? I've come to save, not to destroy. And so the challenge is there. Uh, Jesus was, just wasn't about that. You see, Jesus doesn't desire to destroy or tear down anyone. Go ahead and go to that point if you would there, John. Jesus doesn't desire to destroy or tear down anyone. Um, now, there are certain consequences of truth. And, and, and I should say that we're talking about his heart for people and, and what we're saying here. Doesn't mean that there's never a time to speak the truth about something. Doesn't mean there isn't a time to stand up against what's wrong. It is there. Those things, we see Jesus does that. But the question is, what's going on in our hearts at those times? What's motivating us? And when we understand that Jesus' desire, what's motivating him is never a desire to destroy anybody or never a desire to tear people down. Jesus is more interested in restoration 
than devastation. Okay? And we need to be the same way. When somebody does us wrong or when someone in the public eye just says something that we get so frustrated with and maybe even feel angry about, uh, and, and am I the only one that hap that happens to? Do you ever hear things you know, that are said and done and just makes you angry because you know it's so wrong and people are getting hurt because of it? And So yeah, but what's going on in my heart? My heart's desire ought to be that these people get restored, not wiped out. Now, we would never wipe them out, right? Well, here's how it happens, right? If you think, if it's in person, it's people you know, have you ever said, well, I just told them, you know, all that I thought and told them off and, rah, 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 and, and took pleasure in it? Have you ever done that? Um, I think it happens a lot nowadays when you're on Facebook and you see something and you hear something, someone maybe you know saying it or someone else, and how do you respond? There, right? And you nuke them. And you miss the point. We need to care about people and, and want to see them where they need to be. So if we're going to get this, like Jesus, this heart, we need to understand that the next time you hear something like this, and maybe it's in the news or maybe it's online somewhere or whatever, rather than getting this attitude of looking down like, oh, I can't believe it. These people, these, well, you know, it goes like this. If, if you're a Republican, you're going, oh, those liberal Democrats, I can't believe it. If you're a Democrat, you're going, oh, those conservative Republicans. And you look down on people. Don't look down, reach out. That's the heart of Jesus. Don't look down on people. Think, how can I reach out here? And, and maybe you can't directly, but if you can't do that, we get to the next one. And that's that uh, when you find yourself just getting frustrated and you start talking like this. Anybody else talk like that sometimes? You guys awake? It's a rainy day, I know. But yeah, we get like that. And we complain, we complain. But you know what? We need to do less complaining and more praying. When we see things that aren't what they ought to be and things that bother us and irritate us and maybe irritate us deeply, instead of letting complaining be what governs us, we should start praying because there's a need there, isn't there? There's a great need. And you think about the people who, who uh, whether it's personal in your own life and they're doing you wrong or, or talking about you or it's, it's in public like we've talked about it, you gotta understand that usually they're demonstrating that they are not in a proper relationship with God. They probably don't know Christ as Savior. And they're in much worse condition before God than you and I could ever try to to deal with. And were you ever in that place, separated from God and needing a Savior? Yeah, see, that should govern what's going on in our hearts at these times. And so what we see here is Jesus saying, look, I didn't come for this. I'm not coming to destroy. I'm not coming to nuke people. I'm not, that's not what I'm about. I've come to save. And so we see that Jesus is on a rescue mission. That's what he's doing. And so our hearts need to be tied up with that, being on this rescue mission with Jesus. Now, 
what I want to do over the next few minutes here is remind ourselves of where people are at who have never received Christ as Savior. Where are they at in life? What is their condition? What are their circumstances? And what are they? So that we can understand why is Jesus on this rescue mission and why that should affect us and our hearts. And so the first thing that we understand about people who would, who would stand in opposition to God and to what's right and all that, uh, and this is actually, let me spread, go beyond that. This is for every person. Every person has sinned and is guilty before God. Every person. Scriptures say, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We fall short. God's standard is what? Way up here somewhere. And so we fall short. We've sinned. We haven't measured up to that standard. And let me say, it's not even close. We're, no human being has ever even been close to measuring up. The, and the, the illustration I've used before, and some of you remember it, it'll be new to some of you, and that's just, we're going to shift the, the idea. Let's assume that we had to swim from here to London. 3,200 miles. I think the world record for long-distance unassisted swim in, in the ocean is 160 miles. And the person almost died. Okay? Um, but 160 miles is way shorter than 3,200 miles. So if we had to do this, and so we head out here and we head out into the surf, some of us, you know, 50 yards out are going to go under, aren't we? The waves and all that. Some people are going to make it twice that far. Some people will make it a quarter mile, half mile. Some will make a mile. Someone might make it 20 miles. Some of us are just going to stand on the shore and say, no way. <laughs> but the point is, nobody will make it. By a long ways, no one will make it. Well, that's the way it is when it comes to God's standards for what's right and wrong and what's holy and what's not. We've all fallen short of that, and not by a little bit, but by a long ways. That means then, if every person has sinned and is guilty before God, that means that every person is deserving of hell and is already headed there. Already headed there. So the scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. And so this idea that, that sin has brought death into the world, we're all going to die physically, but, but then we stand before God in judgment. And, and we're in danger of what the Bible calls the second death. And it says that, as the scripture says, that, that the dead were judged according to their works, how they lived. And that includes the, all the sins that they've ever committed, repeatedly showing that they have fallen short and don't measure up to God's standards. And the end result of that is to be cast into the lake of fire, which we commonly call hell. That's where people are at. That's a hard place, isn't it? I mean, and I, I don't like talking about the topic of hell, but the Bible does. Jesus does. And so every person, by nature, a sinner, sinning against God, failing to measure up, therefore guilty before God, and deserving of his judgment in hell for all eternity. And, and they're already headed there. Every person already headed there. You don't have to do something to all of a sudden find yourself headed there. And John uh, chapter 3, it says, He who believes in him 
is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned what? Already. That's, that's where we start. That's where every human being starts. Condemned already. And there's nothing you can do to fix that. You can't you join a church to fix that. You can't do good works to fix that. You can't give more money to fix that. Anything you think of you could try to do to fix it, you can't. Because Jesus said, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. How many times do you have to sin to no longer be perfect in that area? How many times? One time. And we've sinned a whole lot more than once. And so this is where every human being is headed. And that's where they're on. So much so that, that Jesus, when he was talking to the most righteous people of his day, those who followed the rules of the law better than anybody else did, he said to them, asked them, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? And the answer is what? They couldn't. They couldn't. And so, do you... If we understand where people are at, I mean, does, doesn't this start to move you and say, wow, they are in a really desperate place? Those who don't know the Lord, and they don't even know this, but they are in a very desperate place and headed for an eternity in hell. And so we start to understand Jesus' rescue mission here what his heart was about, and he reveals his heart in this. In 1 John, he sa it says, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Those sins which are condemning us, to condemning people to hell. And in Galatians, Paul talks about the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, that's the heart of Jesus, right? Here are these people who are guilty and they rightfully deserve this judgment. But his heart is, he doesn't want that for them. He doesn't desire for them to be destroyed. He desires for them to be saved, as he said there in the story. So here's where we're at and here's what his heart moved him to do. You remember, we saw the scripture, for everyone has sinned and we, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody, every person except for one. And who's that? Jesus, the Lord Jesus. That's right. Hebrews says that he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So Jesus had no sins of his own which had to be paid for. He had no uh, sins of his own for which judgment must be done. And that meant that he was in a position to do something for us as human beings. And this is where we, we learn about Christ as a substitute. Christ as substitute. In other words, I am guilty, you are guilty, every person guilty before God, deserving of this judgment. But because Christ had no sins of his own to pay for, he's the son of God, God in human form, no sins, he's able to take our place. He's able to become a substitute for us and pay the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to. Peter said it like this, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God. The just, Jesus, the holy, righteous one, no sin for, as a substitute for us who? The unjust, the unrighteous, the unholy, the ones who have sinned. And so Jesus to come and take our sins, dying on the cross, paying that penalty in full. Do you see the heart of Jesus? I mean, we don't have time to start to enter today. What did that cost him? But because he loves us, he did it. Because he did not desire for us to be destroyed, he did this. Now, God could just do this on his own, couldn't he? Just save everybody. That wouldn't somehow rather be just. He requires us to believe, to choose, to trust, to make a decision to trust what he's done for us. In the Gospel of John, it says this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God a new birth on the inside. In other words, where we are so messed up from our first birth on the inside, sinful by nature, living that out into our lives, when we come and believe and accept Christ as Savior, inside, He makes us new. He gives us a new birth. We are born again when that happens. And understand that there is no other way that this can happen. Jesus said, when he was talking to one of the religious rulers of his day, he says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the reality is this. In order for any of these people who don't know him to escape hell, to escape the rightful judgment for their sins, they must come to this place where they consciously, purposefully choose to accept Christ as Savior, to accept His payment for those, their sins. You can't morph into this. You can't reform yourself into heaven. You must be transformed deep down inside by a new birth that only God can give you. And He does when you receive Christ as Savior. So this is the situation that people are in. That's where they're at. And so does this help us understand the heart of Jesus? And then we ought to do what? Share his heart. We ought to be concerned about being involved in this rescue mission that he is on as well. Because Jesus expects his followers to know and share his heart for people. That's what he expects. This is him. This is getting to know him. What he desires and what he doesn't desire. And so we talk about this idea of sharing it. And first we mean sharing it in the sense of we have the same heart. This, in other words, our heart aligns with Jesus when it comes to this. We're not about destroying people, nuking people, putting people down. No, we're about caring about them, loving them, and wanting to see them in a proper relationship with Christ. And if that's the case, then, we ought to share Christ with people. 
If we share his heart, we will also share him. Now, you can't share what you don't have. And it's very possible here today that there are some of you who have never reached that point where you made that once and for all conscious decision to accept Christ as Savior, accept his payment, his penalty for your sins. You've kind of just moved along through life and sort of believe it, but you've never reached that place where the Bible describes that you've been born again. Can't give away what you don't have. And in a little bit, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as Savior. But for those of you who have received Christ as Savior, you have settled that. You need to share his heart and you need to be sharing him. Are you doing that? You need to be consciously thinking, how can I reach people who need to know Christ? And are you doing that? You need to be opening up your life and inviting those who don't know him into your life and so that they can uh, experience this idea of come taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you doing that? Are, are you inviting people to, to come to church where they can hear and learn about Jesus? You know, if we share his heart, we ought to be doing those things. Are we doing them? And let me talk to you now about if you've never made that decision, that once and for all, I'm, I'm going with Jesus' decision. Um, and let me do this. Let me do this. Let me tell you my story. And then I'll give you an opportunity to respond. Um, April the 4th, 1975. It's a Friday night. I'm 19 years old. And, and uh, I was at a special church service. Uh, where they were talking about this very kind of thing. And I'm listening to it, and I've been struggling off and on for the previous three months, three to four months, uh, with this whole idea of needing to receive Christ. I grew up in a church, a different church, but I knew Bible stories, and I kind of knew the you know, right ways to live. And, and I kept thinking, well, no, surely I can, I'll just do better. You know, I'll do better. And I'd pray and ask God, God, help me to do better. But the thought keep coming back is, well, you've never really settled this issue. You've never really once and for all received Christ as Savior. And I'd wrestle with that, and then I'd kind of push that back and say, no, no, I have some faith here, and I, I believe in God, and I, I think I can do better. And I kept doing that. Even this night, when they're talking about it, talking about it very plainly, very clearly, and, and it's, I'm struggling with this idea. When the service is over that night, when I ended up by myself, I uh, got down on my knees and I'm praying and I'm saying, oh God, you know, I know I'm, I'm not living the way I ought to and I know there's things in my life that don't belong and please help me with that. I want to do better, I, I'm, you know. And, and all of a sudden I just finally stopped because I knew. I said, okay, God, I'm not saved. I know I'm not. I know my sins have separated from me and from you. And, I, and as soon as I finally said, okay, to God, it's like, boom, all of a sudden it just all became clear and makes sense. And, and I then prayed to the Lord something like this. Don't remember the exact words, but I remember I prayed to the Lord something like, you know, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sins have separated me from you and that I'm headed for hell. I don't want to go to hell. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And right now I receive Christ as Savior. I accept his payment for my sins. 
And I got up from that prayer forever changed. Forever changed. Every sin forgiven. Eternal life. And it began to change how I looked at my life. It began to change how I lived my life. It began to change even what my big ideas were about my goals and what was supposed to happen in my life. But it's all because I finally said okay to God and I received him as Savior. And deep down inside, I was born again. And you may be here today and say, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever really done that either. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So in just a minute, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that's similar to the prayer that I prayed. And I just ask you to pray along. You pray along silently. God knows what you're thinking and what's in your heart and mind there. But I want you to be sincere with God and um, be open with him. So let's bow our heads. Everyone, please. Let's still look around out of respect for each other. If you're here today and you say, yeah, I need to settle that issue. I need to receive Christ. Then pray along with me right now. Silently to God, say something like, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I know if I die like this, I'll go to hell. But I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. And I believe he died to pay the penalty for my sins. And I believe that he rose again from the dead. So right now, I receive Christ as Savior. I accept him as my Savior. And I accept his payment for my sins. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me to receive Christ as Savior, I'd like to be able to pray for you and encourage you in that decision. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you if you pray with me with no one else looking around, just to raise your hand to me so I can see and so I'll be able to pray for you in just a minute. So if you prayed with me today to receive Christ as Savior, to settle this issue once and for all, right now, with no one looking around except me, would you just lift your hand? Anybody like that? Raise your hand. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. You can put them down. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, thank you so much for these who have prayed today to receive your Son as Savior. I pray that you will make it very, very real to them. They will understand uh, what's happened uh, and the change that has occurred. And I pray, Father, that they will help us let them to grow as well. Help them grow. Um, we thank you for your love for us. I pray that we will share your heart for people, that we will uh, be, share that heart enough that we act on it and do something about it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you so much. God bless you. You are dismissed. Hope to see you Wednesday night. If not, we'll have a great Thanksgiving.